Hi, this is Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. We're 30 miles north of Pisa, near a town called Pietra Santa, nicknamed Little Athens because of its tradition for carving marble. The area used to boast hundreds of artisans or craftsmen who specialised in carving marble. Until the 1960s, most of the work was ecclesiastical, but a papal edict from Vatican II put an end to that, leaving a hole in the economy. So studio heads then courted artists to come and realise their work in marble. Today I'm in one of the last remaining studios in the centre of town, La Poverera. The community of artists here hold regular shows, parties and concerts. Inside the building you can find a large collection of plaster casts of the classical statues from the olden days. And outside the dusty workspaces are dotted around with a stream running behind them. I'm meeting Rita Meyer, who's worked in the area over the past 30 years. First of all, I asked her about the history and how the first sculptors came in the 60s and 70s. So in the early years, nobody paid, you know, like in the 70s. And then slowly, slowly it attracted more sculptors, also famous sculptors who had uh, their models copied here because of the very, uh, they're very skilled here, these uh, artigiani with the marble technique, so. And then in Carcetta, there was this big um, marble company called Oro Hendro, and the owner of that place in the 60s and 70s, he was very interested in having artists working there, even though it was making slabs and stuff like that. But they had people like Noguchi coming, César, Jean Arp, Henry Moore. And they could go up to the quarries because Cervaiole here is part of Henro's uh, marble quarries. And up there they quarry since Napoleon was in the region because Napoleon's sister, she hired this Henro in Paris Maybe he was a geologist or something. And then they founded this company to, to quarry this fine marble. 500 years ago, it was actually Michelangelo who went up there the first time in the mountain. So it has a, quite a history, this place here. It's very embedded, you know, in the marble, marble stories. And you hear all kinds of stories, you know. My name is Rita Meyer, and uh, I'm from Switzerland. But then I, I, I left for the United States when I was 28, I think, and I left there because I had an American um, boyfriend. We were 11 years together, and then we separated, and I came back to Switzerland. But I was in touch with his cousin, who was a sculptor in Pietrasanta, in 88, 1988, I visited him. So I came the first time to Pietrasanta. He actually lived up on the Rocca, which was a very special place. And I, I was like flabbergasted because he walked on marble. <laughs> Everywhere there is marble. 
And I felt like, wow. It was really something very special when I was here the first time. I found it very familiar, but I never was here. And because I was always very keen about stones, all kinds of stones, I was taken by it all. I've never seen so many different kinds of marble, so much marble. So that's how it actually started with my passion in the sense of wanted to do something with marble. I have not really a what do you call it, a classical artist education. I, I'm more like self-taught, or rather I was lucky enough to go to a studio where there were many artists who I could either copy, they showed me, they taught me. There were artigiani, the craftsmen, the local craftsmen, which are and were very, very generous in showing us how to work marble. I remember very well when I was in that studio. It was a bit outside of Pietra Santa. It was an international artist studio with quite a few Americans, but also French, German, Swiss, Italians, of course. And I watched them and I thought, wow, this I could never do. This is so hard work and, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't dare to even do anything and that my luck was that it was I was among Americans the Americans they don't believe in you know uh, that you have to have a formal education basically you just do if you want to do it just do it so they convinced me that I can just try and do it you know and now after 30 years I feel like Yes, I learned a lot, but I still don't know it all, of course. You know, it's like you learn slowly in many ways, and it takes time. And maybe that was also something which fascinated me with the media. It's a very slow media. It's something you cannot cut corner with it. The day I met with Rita was very hot, and we chose the studio lunch hour while the machines were quiet. She showed me a stack of marble of varying shapes and sizes and she was so keen for me to appreciate their true colours she tipped her precious bottle of drinking water over them until they glistened. Unperturbed by the fact she now had no drink for herself, she started to tell me what she loved about the different stones. Every stone, even if it's the same quality or the same type, is very different. OK, my favourite stone is the white Carrara marble, which is called here Statuario because it has a very fine crystal. And it really does what you want it to do in the sense you can mostly carve anything from very, very subtle, fine, thin details to, you know, to really everything. And it's a very translucent material, so you can also use it as a, a light carrier so to speak so it has a lot of possibilities in it and it is also used for many many famous works like Michelangelo did the Pietà in that material and you, it doesn't weather well so it must be in, in a place inside the grey Carrara which is greyish 
you see a lot of them in big piazzas, in places, memorial works, uh, portraits, in cemeteries. They That weathers very well. But the white one, you have to have in the house. It has an egg color. It's got a very warm white. So it's a very it's an expensive marble. So I usually work small works, medium small. So people knew that I like statuaria. And when they were working on bigger works and they had some, you know, medium-sized pieces they had cut off, they would bring it to me because they knew I would do something small with them. Later on, I used more also for for a change, for pleasure. I wanted to do more with colored stone because also here we are in that sense very lucky. We can get any stone of the world. So what, what other stones do you also, enjoy and, and why? Yeah, okay. I have a um, couple of works like in the yellow travertine from Iran. And it's rather soft, but not too soft. Um, maybe about softness, I should say. We have 10 great, grades of hardness in stone. 10 is the diamond. It's the hardest of all. And then... Eight, nine, eight, let's say eight, could be like granite, basalt. They're very hard. Marble is about five, six. So it's considered rather soft, which is not as soft as alabaster. Alabaster is very soft. It's like maybe two or something, three. So for me, that would be too soft, even though I have used a bit of alabaster because it has an extremely beautiful translucency. So you can really use it as a shape, but also as a light carrier. And then with travertine, I like about it the different shades of colors. There is a red one as well, beautiful, also from Iran. Then there is the light brown one, kind of a creamy one. It's from Tivoli in Rome. Half Rome is built with this travertine. And then we have a local one from southern Tuscany, which has a chocolate color, which is also beautiful. So with travertine, again, even though it has lots of holes, so you think, oh, they break and it falls apart. No, it's very nice to carve. It holds also nice details. Then... Um, I did some French, red French, which are lovely too, these different French ones. They're red and white and uh, they look a bit like meat, <laughs> raw meat when you polish them up, but they, they are beautiful. The latest one I did is um, Verde Ming, called Green Ming, like the Chinese dynasty. Um, it's the most lovely green there is, a very light, vivid green, and it's also easy to carve. I'm not the type who would touch granite, never, ever. For me, it's too hard. Because you have physically, you have to be quite uh, in good shape for, for granite, even for marble. But since I work smaller pieces, it's about, often it's about size. 
In conversations with artists about the materials they choose, they often mention factors like the weight of the material, their own physical strength, the availability of craftsmen to help them, and their choices of power tools or other newer technologies. In the light of this, I asked Rita to expand on her processes and what tools she uses. You know, I have done one bigger commission, a two-meter high work, but it is rather narrow, and I had to have some help with it for the... We call it roughing out to get the big parts away. And I had a model, so it, it was a twist, a one twist, and so it had to be exactly that twist. So I had to have it punctuated, we call it, with the system they have here with a um, craftsman, which is their specialty. And then the rest I did, you know, I sh bringing it all down to the r real shape and and all the finishing and because there are different steps. There are at least 10 different steps in how you carve, how you start, how you rough it out, how you slowly peel out the shape. You have different tools available. One would be a saw, like um, with a diamond disc. So that's very efficient to cut stone. It's, it cuts like with a knife through butter almost. With that fact, it makes it also a very dangerous tool, so you have to be very concentrated and careful. And and then you, you bang away with the, the chisel and the hammer, because then you can, for instance, you can cut slices, and then you, you knock away the slices, because the stone itself has very little resistance when you make it weak at certain areas, you know. But if you, for instance, go in with a chisel, straight in and you bang on it you have no chance of uh, his force is stronger than your force you know so you have to know the weaknesses you have to create weaknesses in the stone and then we have the pneumatic tools which are very advantageable for us who are not so strong physically and we can work rather easy with these tools and shape closer, closer, closer to what we want to do and then there are all kinds of tricks along the way of course and tricks in a good way you know, how can you do it more efficient or how can you do it better or so you don't see the white points for instance at the end when you have all polished up from the from the chisel because you hurt the stone when you go too straight in or bang too hard so you know, you see those white dots, for instance, and they are not, they must not be seen. Rita is a member of Intrecciati, a cultural association in Pietrasanta. The members host regular exhibitions of their work at the gallery they run together in the centre of Pietrasanta, which is where I first saw Rita's work. She explains her series of seed pods, which are the carriers and protectors of future lives, and tells me how their wide variety of forms show how they are always perfectly adapted to their environment. I also saw Rita's limpet series, inspired by exposed crystalline surfaces on some discarded statuario she was given. She loves limpets and began carving their fossils on marble river rocks and finished them with a natural iron-coloured patina. So... Then my work, I don't do figures. Um, I, I do mostly um, organic 
organic shapes. Um, I, I'm inspired by nature, but what I see, it could be a, a leaf or a flower, but it doesn't mean necessarily I will make that leaf or that flower, but it has maybe a very beautiful line in it or a movement. And then I, I, I make my sketches to to, with that idea, make different sketches, and then I, I see a stone, and then which would maybe work for that idea, and then I start, and then it can it can happen that I I deviate because I suddenly see ah it's maybe better I do it that way, and it, so it's gonna be it's just like a process, but then sometimes it happens like when when I work in stone that. I just go and follow something, I go, I do it, I don't think much. And then something comes out and I have, would have never thought of that shape. Never ever. It would have it would be a shape which was completely different than what I've ever thought of. So it's something I call it tapping into the unconscious. And it has happened that I also have started a piece and just put it away and said Maybe I continue another time, but maybe not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, can happen, you know, that you get stuck and uh, and it was the wrong, either the wrong stone, or because sometimes you you think, oh, that was a, that looks like a nice stone, then it turns out to be a very difficult stone. Fantastic dogs. I love your studio. And how many dogs have you got here? Well, let's see, we have... Two from Spain, and then I got Galgo. I don't know what they're called. Then we have five whippets, five, seven, seven dogs. We have seven dogs. <laughs> Somebody once said, "Are you a kennel here, or are you a studio <laughs> carving studio?" <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And how about Pietra Santa? Can you tell me? How, how, how you felt when you discovered Pietro Center, how much time you spent here, what, why it's a special artistic center? Because it's the sculpture center of the Western world. And, uh, and it has a long history of stone sculpting, so marble sculpting. And, um, and many of these people, or younger people often, you know, they came here, we, talk, we met uh, in the Piazza, or they came to the studios. I've worked in several studios now. And they said, they sent something special here. And, and I sensed something special and still do when I come back here. Um, we don't know what it is, we don't know, we just feel it is very um, caliente. It's a very warm place in the sense you feel very welcomed and you know you can work here well and you're happy to work here because one thing it's very practical to work here. You have the stone, you have the tools, you have the know-how, you have the studios, infrastructure, you have everything. It's like in the me medieval times, you know, when you had streets where they only would do work with iron or only with copper or only with lanyard wood and it has still that old tradition that it was all embedded everything you need is locally available everything yeah 
uh, it became a very expensive, quaint little town because it has a lot of beautiful architecture, has its own beauty, really. It's, it's vivid with art because it's called Città d'Arte. So because there is so much art which is produced here, so to speak, but our studio, for instance, now... Unfortunately, which is one of the only ones left within almost the, the town walls, is a very uh, bohemian place, so to speak, but it has a long history of traditional carving. And um, But uh, even for this area now, it's too noisy, too dusty, and we start to feel a bit of restriction. We cannot have any more people who want to work two, three meter works. It's too loud, too dusty. So everybody who wants to work has big commissions, has to go now into the industrial zone. Because I think also since the European Union, the emission, nature, everything, dust, noise, the security of, of the workers, has, has, there are more laws now to have to be observed, so that is restrictive also. I mean, I remember days we were all, also me not, but people were carving without glasses, barefoot, you know, some crazy people. <laughs> not Italians, but they were, the D'Artigiani wear their paper, paper hats, you know, made from newspaper, and they surely were not the great. <laughs> great protection of anything and you know but they used the saws the big saws and they handled hundreds of kilos of stone and you know but they had a way they learned they had a way of doing it very slow with a lot of care and not very often something happened so thanks to Rita Meyer her work can be seen on her Instagram, Rita Meyer Sculpture, or on the gallery website of intraciati.it. For photographs of all the works discussed today, follow our Instagram or visit our website materiallyspeaking.com. And don't forget to join our mailing list to hear about upcoming episodes. Editorial thanks to Duncan Thornley.